You're listening to another Mariners podcast by the fans and for the fans with news and views on the Carrot and Blues. Have a listen. This is a podcast with possibly our only US fan, Brent Brannan from Atlanta, Georgia. He's been a Mariners fan since 2017 when his own club, Atlanta United, came into existence. It's a riveting listen and we talked for so long that this is just part one of our conversation. Terry, how are you? Brent, I'm fine. How are you? Doing fine. Um, I saw Shields won today. Yeah, they did. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur lost, which as an Arsenal fan is always good for me. No, I see it. Newcastle were 2-0 down at home to Everton and won 3-2. I did. I saw how that's... <laughs> Incredible. I, um, I saw that Almiron didn't get on the score sheet, but it seems like the fans are receiving his performance as well. Yeah, because he's ex-Atlanta, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's quite electric, isn't he? Is he Paraguayan or something? Uh, yeah, like that? Paraguayan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a Sunderland yeah. fan, red and white, so <laughs> I'm not that chuffed about Newcastle to win, <laughs> to, to, to be honest. <laughs> but there you go. Welcome, Brent. Thanks for agreeing, first of all, to be on the on the Mariners podcast. Um, it's nice to know that uh, the support that we've got isn't just uh, local, it's also international as well. I mean, we obviously have a lot of expats living here, there and everywhere, but to have a genuine national of another country following Shields is is, uh, is gratifying, it's brilliant. So tell me, first of all, a little bit about yourself. So I'm 33 years old, yeah. um, working professional, um, uh, not a professional football player, that was... I guess my aspirations really? growing up, uh, before I finished, I'm not, not sure what the equivalent would be or what level of education, but high school in the United States, so uh, 17, 18 years old, yeah. I had a, um, a pretty catastrophic knee injury, which uh. derailed my hopes of getting a scholarship to play in the university. Yeah. So um, I've always been a fan of the game, um, played as long as I could, but I think, you know, as, as we get older, it takes longer to recover. Tell me um, about so it. So I've always had... A passion for sport. I, I do work sort of in the sports field. My job is to facilitate high school uh, competition events where a sponsor or a company can pay for these events to interact with the students. So a company wants to get information or recruit students for a job or a university. They will pay for these events. And um, so... I guess you could say I'm still paid to be fit. Yeah. I just don't get to run around a pitch, kicking a ball, you know, scoring goals like I would, <laughs> I would like I'd like to. Yeah. Um, that it sounds like but, a very uh, fulfilling job, though, Brent. It is. It is. I think that at the end of the day, when you get out of bed in the morning, whether you play football um, for a club that you grew up supporting, you want to have an element of passion for your profession. Yeah. You, you don't want to go to work thinking. Well, I can't wait till I clock out, go home, no. put some tea on, you know, turn on the television. Um, so with this job, you get to give uh, students an idea of what they could do with their future. Uh, you get to put information in front of them, maybe joining the military or maybe going to a certain university for job training. You're giving them tuition assistance information because a lot of students in the United States, a problem is uh, you know, student loan debt. You graduate, yeah. you have to pay all this money back, and it's a terrible cycle with interest. So It's the same here. Yeah. yeah, I think 
think what we're doing here is something good. Um, mm. Not everybody is the same grades, the same aspirations. Um, some of the more talented um, students, you know, would go play for South Shields, and then um, some of the better actors, they may go play for Farsley. Is that right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You, you don't you don't really have to act that much. You, you just have to know how to fall over a lot. <laughs> yeah, you no, have been you have been going there. Yeah, Scarborough, and now everybody yeah. in the National Premier League, they um nobody likes Farsley. Is that right? Uh yeah, they've got that sort sort of repetition. That, but we played them three times last season because they came FA Trophy, I think it was, and I do not remember them being right. that way inclined. They were a good football wow. side. They were all three of them were very good games. But oh this year, dear man. <laughs> it's almost as if you know, there's a different mindset there and it's not nice to watch. It really isn't. Right. So, you know, I think and I made some notes here to go yeah, over. Yeah. I think my first football memory, um, I can remember from a very early age, my parents signing me up, uh, playing football with the other kids. It was Boys and girls, you're running around like a, a pack of sheep, you know, and the coaches are trying to hurt you in one direction or the other. And I can remember watching, I was eight years old, um, eight, nine years old, watching the 1994 World Cup when it came to the United States. And yeah. for some reason, uh, you know, some of those memories stick in my head. I can remember Roberto Baggio missing the penalty oh, yeah. against Brazil in the final. Mm. Um, I remember watching Sweden play in the group stages and how incredibly beautiful it was with um, a, a fluid type of play. And so I think from a young age, I understood that there is a difference between playing football and watching the beautiful game. Mm. And, and ultimately... That that's kind of how I found um, South Shields uh, yeah. on on the internet on Facebook. There was a highlight video, and this video contained the best goals of the month or the best goals of the week. And so yeah. it was just like very rapid, um, you know, transition from video to video. And in the bottom corner of the screen, they would say the name of the club and the player. And so I'm going through this video, you know, Real Madrid, Paris Saint Germain, Arsenal, Man United. And then South Shields. South Shields. And you're like, who are South Shields football club? Yeah. What, what country, what, what, what undiscovered continent do they play on? <laughs> and I, I, I remember the goal very vividly. And I believe it was a Gavin Cogden um, goal. But I remember the goal in my head. The ball had been played. It was bouncing around in the left channel, maybe 25 yards outside the box. Yeah. I'm very. I'm, I think it was Gavin because the player was quite small. Yeah, so sounds like no Gavin. Yeah. Gavin, but yeah. he's not the tallest person. No. <laughs> um, well, and, his, and his nickname it, is Titch. It, yeah, it was struck so pure, and it was just um, you know like a lightning bolt, uh, you know, in the, in the in the top of the corner. And yeah, I just remember thinking, wow, that is something special because. You, you see so many goals, uh, you know, I've spent time in South America, you know, they would say a golazo or, you know, top bins or whatever superlative you use. There's just something very interesting about that goal. So I typed in South Shields on the computer and I, I found this team and, you know, you're like, well, Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two, League Five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I, once I got into non-league, I was struggling to recognize the names of the divisions. Yeah. And then I get all the way down the pyramid to the Evo Stick League. 
I don't recognize any of these teams. So I followed South Shields on Facebook. I would just follow the results. And this was the beginning of the season for the FA Voss Cup run. Oh, yeah. So 16, 17. I, I jumped on at an excellent time. Mm. So I'm watching you know, the match updates, following on YouTube, and seeing some of the fans. It was about that time that All Things Mariners started. That's right. So I joined the group, and I started to interact and learn some more about the club. I, I emailed Bob Ray. Yeah. Um, he was fantastic. I can't speak highly enough about him. And I said something to the effect of, you're not going to believe what you're reading, but there's there's a Yank that wants to learn more about your club. Um, I can't really say it was coincidence, more of fate, but would you send me some literature, some information to learn about South Shields? Believe it or not, they're not that popular, you know, where I live. So <laughs> I'd like to become more educated. And so at the end of the season, he sent me a, a, a parcel in the mail with um, match day programs, newspaper clippings, some odds and ends. And it was a fantastic gesture of just commitment for somebody that wants to learn about the club. You know, yeah. if I think about doing something like that for, for Arsenal, or even, you know, a, a championship club or League One, League Two, that sense of pride and sharing what the club has is commercial. Yes. You know, it's money. Uh, Bob Bob spent his own money to send this to me, and that really impressed upon me as a person, not only as a football fan, hey, this is a club which has an ethos, a, a core understanding of what it means to be a family for one yes. another, because... You know, football is only 90 minutes of your week, of your day. And the rest of this day, you know, your friends, your family, you're interacting with these people. And that gesture showed me that he was very caring and very proud of what the club was building. This this was before Project EFL. This was before um, some of those initiatives had begun. So I yeah. was fortunate enough to see the ambition and then see the result of that ambition as well. And so... You know, with all things Mariners, um, are you f- you familiar with the Guess the Attendance contest? Yes. Have you won it before? Yes, I, I've, I've won. Have yes, you? Yes, I've won. I have a sticker in my car window that, um, <laughs> that Allison sent me. She sent it in the mail. <laughs> I think the nearest I've been is about 15 off. <laughs> I was two or three away. And so Allison messaged me on Facebook and she says, Hi, how are you? Um, I'd like to meet you at Manners Park to give you the sticker. I said, well, that's good. That's well. There's a small problem. Um, I won't be at Manners Park on the weekend for the match. Um, she goes, oh, well, I'll see you, you know, the next week. And I said, no, no, I don't think you understand. I don't live in England. And she goes, oh, well, maybe you can come another time. I was like, no, no, no. I don't think you understand. Like, I'm, I'm from the United States. And she goes, oh, well, send me your postage address and I'll mail it to you. And again, no hesitation. There was such a commitment to the community that, that the South Shield, the Mariners fans shared, and it's contagious. I think that it's not something that is unique to South Shields, but immediately there was no hesitation. I mean, there's such a community in the non-league part of the football pyramid that you do not see at the higher levels. It, it's more of like a pride you take in, in your local community and in a family atmosphere. And again, I can't say enough about how contagious that is because when football becomes commercial, 
you lose sight of what's most important. The profits and the players and, and the promotions become so big, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, moving to a new ground just to make more money when it destroys the history of the land. And the closeness. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's very sad yeah. to see how the, the cost of losing a club's soul is worth um, promotion. Mm. You see, um, recently, Colwyn Bay yes. are potentially moving to the Welsh pyramid. That's right. I think it's so sad, but you have to have a lot of respect for what they're doing to save the club. I do. I it's think they're doing the right thing. It's so yeah. difficult. I mean, um, what you've said chimes with the way I... Because I, I was born, raised and educated for most of my school life in South Shields, but I haven't lived there for 45 years because I've, I've right. worked all over the country. And um, I started going to watch Sunderland in in the 1960s, believe it or not. And, of course, uh, they won the FA Cup at Wembley against the mighty Leeds in 1973. Leeds were in the first division, we were in the second division. But then, because of the pressures of the job, I... I moved away and it wasn't so easy to get there and I just kind of lost. I didn't lose interest in football but I wasn't a regular attender and then my son said to me do you want to go to the stadium and like to see Sunderland and I thought oh alright then it was actually a match against Leeds United and they had a lot of the old 1973 cup winning players there so I thought alright I'll go along and, and I went to two or three other games after that and I was bored shitless <laughs> These guys on the pitch, there was no... Com I mean, Sunderland were going through a bad patch then. But there was just no commitment from the guys who were making mega bucks, And you had to sit right. in the same seat. You couldn't walk around the ground. And then he said to me one week, South Shields are going quite well. And I didn't actually know that they still existed, to be honest. Right. But when I looked, and this was probably about the same time you're talking about. It was the beginning right. or middle of the Vars winning season. Right. So I thought, all right, then I watched a few results. I listened to a live broadcast of a couple of games, and I thought, oh, this sounds quite good. But what was putting me off going was I thought, it's non-league soccer. I'd never been a big fan. Right. I thought it would be crude. Right. No talent, whatever. I went along, and I was absolutely blown away. It really was, with the right. commitment. But not just that, as you say. It was a family. I could walk around the ground. I think I went to that game. My son couldn't go on my own. I didn't know a soul. And I, I must have spoken to a dozen people, lovely people. I could walk around the ground. What impressed me as well is you can talk to the players. You can talk to the managers. You can talk to the directors. And, and it is a real family. And as you say, I don't think it's exclusive to South Shields, but it, I think it's certainly it's something that the big leagues have lost. There's no connect with the fans, whereas at South Shields and non-league in general, it's still there and it's brilliant. So let me tell you a quick story. I, mm. I've made several notes and I want to make sure I get through all yeah, of them. Yeah. But um, following following my trip to England, I I knew that um, I was supposed to come to Bamber Bridge at home. Yeah. And the match was postponed, so I was able to go see um, Warrington Town away. My brother is doing his MBA, his business degree in Barcelona. Yeah. Our family went on holiday to visit Nathan. We then went to London and spent some time as a family. My brother, my sister, my father, my mother, all five of us. Nathan is a massive Liverpool supporter. Yeah. So we took a trip to see 
um, Southampton play at Liverpool, came back to London, saw Arsenal play at the Emirates. And then after my parents went back to the, to the United States and back home, I stayed in an extra week. And I, uh, I went to see a friend of mine in Nottingham yeah. because uh, I was um, post, postgraduate. I went to seminary um, to do some religious studies and I have a friend that's working in Nottingham. Yeah. And then I went to Birmingham as well. And one of the last things I did is I took a train from Birmingham to to Warrington and then back to Birmingham. And I remember knowing going on the trip that Gavin wasn't fit, um, Carl Finnegan wasn't fit. It was a it wasn't a it was it wasn't the top side. And, and following the match, I was a little disappointed. You know, I didn't see some of those players. Um, I met Daniel Prince. I met some of the other people at the club. Yeah. Daniel found the vet. You know. You're watching Mariners TV. And so, um, you know, I, I met everyone. But after the match, I sent a Facebook message to Gavin on, uh, on Facebook. And I said, I told him my story. I was like, I want you to know that what you're doing matters. Um, the passion that the club has, the way that you give yourself to the fans, you know, the commitment to tracking back, the effort that you show. Football fans around the world notice and that matters because like you were saying the results will come and go but the effort is what drives the club forward knowing that there is a commitment and and, and I told him these things and I said you know I was gutted not to meet you but I hope to see you again if and when I'm able to see another match and in less than two hours Gavin responded and he said top man Brent that is a great story and gutted I missed you let me know next time you're here, mate, Gav. Yeah. And I, I thought it was nice to get a response, but it was something so quick. It was as if he almost expected to hear from a fan. Like it wasn't abnormal or out of the ordinary. No. So there's this culture of communication, a commitment um, to interacting with the fans. You're not above them. You're not superior. You're one of them. Yeah. I think that that in of itself is quite beautiful that there is not a, a separation, the rich and the poor. You know, I, I make so much money or I make more money than you do and I'm a player. I have the, sh- the shirt, the crest. You know, we're, we're all in this together. This uh, adventure, this journey to get to league football. Yeah. But yeah, there is. It's, there's a remarkable closeness and I think we are a very, very friendly club. And I think that is that closeness is shown by the size of away attendances particularly because nobody I mean there, there are clubs in um, leagues above us where they don't get that support at all and South Shields is not an affluent place it's a working right. class town but I mean that of game course. that you saw I've just looked I mean that was in a terrible run wasn't it we had four consecutive defeats and right. You're, it, was you're a, right. it was a three Finnegan was missing, the, David Foley was missing, Gav was missing, John... Oh, yeah, yeah, the yellows, that's right, yeah. Yeah, well, a, a 3 a three nothing um, loss. But you, one of the things I would add is that um, the, the fans that are traveling aren't traveling just to see the players, but they're, they're traveling to see their friends. It's a social like event, a yeah. Right, you know, you have the... Um, the different branches that travel and, and the West Oak coaches mm. and how it's something they look forward to all week because this is the one time a week where life almost stands still and you're, you're sharing something very special with people you care about, 
watching people you care about doing something you all care about. And that's very special, isn't it? It is. It is. You're absolutely right. It's family. I mean, there's, there's a hashtag non-league family. I think that applies to South Shields. I mean, I, I, my knowledge of it is encyclopedic, but it, I think it applies to South Shields more than any club I know. Talking of Warrington, they lost today at home to relegation right. contenders um, mm. Stafford, so that's uh, that helped us a little bit. But yes, I uh, did a Skype interview with Ad Eduardo Werner, a young Brazilian right. guy who's also found similar to yourself in, in you know, the fact that he's a, a non-British national living in his own country. And he'd found, I think he'd found South Shields almost by accident as well, as you did. Right. So, yeah, we're a name. We may not get to the Football League by consecutive promotions, but it doesn't matter because very often, as you know, it's the journey that matters more than the destination. Yeah, that's a good story. I didn't know anything about how American soccer worked league-wise, right. structure-wise, etc. I've done a little bit of research, but you can never you never know whether Wikipedia is selling the truth or not sometimes. But <laughs> yeah. let me get let me get this right. Atlanta United hasn't been in existence that long, has it? This is the third season yeah. that they've been a organized club playing yeah. in the Major League Soccer top-tier division. Mm. There's Eastern Conference and Western Conference, 12 teams right, in each. Right. Yeah. And, and we love the playoffs. Um, yeah. Americans love playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me what the playoffs are for. What do you get? Because, of course, you don't... In, in Britain, in fact, on the continent, in Europe as well, probably, <laughs> the tradition is that pyramid and it's automatic right. relegation and promotion for right. the top two or whatever. Right. And our playoffs will concern teams right. below that top one mm -hmm. or two who will also get, if they win them, the, the chance to go. Right. So it, it, how does it differ in um, American So, people? So one of the first, the, the biggest difference is that there's no um, organized promotion and relegation. Yeah. Because there are less stages or tiers to the pyramid, the gaps between each division are honestly too great to sustain financial... Uh, even if you were promoted, it is almost guaranteed that the same clubs would go automatically back down and the same clubs would go back up because the spending power is, is not... There are no, like the parachute payments, if you get relegated yeah. from the Premier League to the Championship. There, right. There's not an organized way to facilitate those transitions. And so what you see is not atypical of any league where you have the top performers and then you have the, the mid-table and then the relegation zone, the teams at the bottom of the table. What the MLS has done that is very unique is they have salary, salary cap rules. So... No Manchester City spending billions of pounds on transfers. No Paris Saint-Germain. You have a, a strict salary cap where you can only spend so much money on so many players. What is unique is that they have three player spots called designated players. These are the de facto all-stars. Miguel Almiron was one of the designated players. Yeah. And these players can receive a salary as great as the team can do. But there are consequences to how much they spend. So in some way, it's still regulated. It's quite confusing even to me because they, they want to be 
able to market the best players to come play in the league, but they want to protect teams that don't have as much money. So there is some self-adjusting parity uh, in the way that even if a team has more money to spend, they can't spend as much money as they want on as many players. They're limited in some capacity. So right now, our designated players are Joseph Martinez, who last year set the scoring record in the Major League Major League Soccer. Yeah. And he's nearly nearly set the record for the most hat-tricks. He's a Venezuelan international. We have uh, Ezequiel Barco, who is a young Argentine, possibly knocking on the door of the national team, but he's not quite there. And then we have P.T. Martinez, who was South American Footballer of the Year, won uh, Copa, uh, Copa Libertadores with uh, River Plate. And he is... This is a player that you recognize is only here for maybe two years, three years tops. He will play in Europe for a top team, but he was offended that some of the top teams did not respect him like he felt he should. So he's spending time in MLS to show everybody that they made a mistake. And that's an interesting bit is that Tata Martino, Gerardo Martino, was the um, manager of Atlanta United the first two seasons former manager of Argentina's national team in Barcelona. And they, they were very wise to bring him on board early in the process because he, they, the club knew um, Darren Eels, Arthur Blank, um, Carlos Bocanegra, technical director, owner. They, they recognized that Tata Martino um, could earn the trust of South American players. They would see Atlantic United as a place where they could market their abilities and then make a make a jump to Europe. So Miguel Almiron going to Newcastle is a fantastic result because it shows that the model works. Mm-hmm. And so there's a story that Miguel Almiron knew very little about the MLS. He did not know Atlanta United, and he received a call uh, from his agent on the phone. And he wrote, Miguel uh, wrote an article about this online, and he said he had idolized Tata Martino. He knew that he was a legend in South America. And he heard that Tata Martino wanted Miguel to come to Atlanta and play for him. And without knowing anything else, he told his agent, take me there. I want to go play for Tata. And then later, Tata Martino called Miguel Amaron. And he said, quiero contar contigo. Like, I want you with me. And from that moment, he was loyal to him. He said, I will do anything for you. I will run until I cannot run anymore. Um, unfortunately, the one thing Tata Martino did not teach Miguel Almaron is how to use his right foot. He is the most one-dimensional, one-sided player I have ever seen. He is worse than Aryan Robin for Bayern München. He is worse than anyone I have ever seen. His left foot is prodigious, but his right foot is it's an appendage. It, it's it's like the players. At, it's like when you do dizzy penalties at yeah, that halftime yeah, at Mariners yeah. Park. It's like he's done dizzy penalties and he's trying to shoot with his right foot. <laughs> it's it's worthless. But the the culture was very difficult. You know, Atlanta had never had a top division team in recent years, in, in decades, and the the city was starving for a team to call its own. And, and Atlanta is a city which is very proud of its sports teams, but they have not 
won many titles. Mm. The last major sporting title was in 1995 until Atlanta United won this past year. So over 20 years, an entire generation had never known a major sports title in their city. And so there was this pressure to perform right away. So all of the money, the designated player money, went into the attacking players. Yeah. And the club said, we will, we will lose games, but it's not because we won't score. It's because the other team will score more than we will. We are committed to showing high effort and a commitment to the fans. And what you see is that they share the stadium with the Atlanta Falcons, the, the American professional football team. Yeah. There have been matches, Atlanta United matches. Our home opener, our second match of the season, is tomorrow. Yeah, that's Sunday, right. Cincinnati. Yeah. There will be over 70,000 people in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Over 70,000. It is, it's like Wembley. Yeah. It is a cathedral for sport. And you see the same field being used for, for football as it is American football. And it's mind-blowing because... It is such an impressive sporting arena. Mm. And to think that Atlanta United has the privilege to play there is mind-blowing. So it was bought for, it was built for NFL American football. But Arthur Blank is also the owner of Atlanta United. So he said the team will play there as well. And it's incredible to think that the average attendance is normally 40, 45,000. But for certain matches, they open the third level. So I read the about that. Level, yeah, and it takes it to seventy, almost seventy-five thousand people. Wow, that's that's like Old Trafford or yeah. Camp New or the Burnabout. Yeah, it's incredible. So what happens with the NFL grid lines? Right. So recently, they did a season ticket holder event where we could go on the field. There was a special ceremony. And it was the first time that I had been on the field. So I had the same question as you is, how is this artificial grass, this the black bits, the whole filtration, because they water it as well yeah. for the balls, how does this work? And if you closed your eyes, you would struggle to know it was not natural grass. Mm. It was incredible. So you're looking at it, and you know that it's not real grass, but it feels like real grass. And so then you're thinking, well, how do they – paint the grass and then remove the lines yeah and the only thing i can think of is that there's a special solution that they can apply where it removes the white lines because when you go on the pitch you would never know they played american football you can't see the lines they're gone because i thought if they couldn't remove the lines it must be awfully distracting uh, when you're no, trying to play one game with the markings of the other right of course of course now if you look very closely, you might be able to see yeah. from an elevated position a bit of a, a, um, a bit of a shadow yeah. or something. It's nothing that you would notice on the television. It, they do a very good job of mm -hmm. managing the pitch. Now, natural grass, one of the issues is that um, Mercedes-Benz Stadium is used for um, other events, for concerts, for music. Um, they recently had the, the monster trucks, you know, the big, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah and, then, and then motorbikes as well. We had um, the CONCACAF Champions League. We were playing the second tie against the team from Costa Rica. Um, 
and we had to go play at a, a local university's American football stadium um, called Kennesaw State. It, capacity 10, 15,000. It's quite small. And I remember it was slightly, slightly wet. It had been raining. And, you know, we found our seats and we looked behind us and in the exposed kind of not nicer seats, but kind of like if you pay more money, you can get some food service type. Yeah. Um, sweet. Um, there was uh, Darren Eels and Arthur Blank, you know, the top brass, the management. And we're not hiding from the rain. We're sitting there with everyone else. But I'll tell you what was fascinating, and I think I, I hear some of this when people talk about uh, Jeff Thompson, is that he's he's a fan of the club. It's yeah. not simply an investment. So the most fascinating thing about sitting so close to Arthur Blank and Darren Eels was that after a goal or a shot or a hard foul or a missed call, you could turn around and, and their face would tell you exactly what had happened on the pitch. Yeah. They weren't. They weren't on their. They weren't on their phones. Yeah. They weren't doing business. They were a fan. Yeah. And I think that was very important for me because you you think, you know, well, if we moved if we moved grounds, would it really matter? Would we lose something? And the team won four to nil. Mm. It was a fantastic performance. And what I thought was incredible is that was one of the first times I had experienced that in the United States was such a small ground. And when you think about, you know, I, I think about going to see um, South Shields play at Warrington Town or if I were to go to Mariners Park. And there's such an environment there. It, the people that are there are there to watch football and to cheer on their team. Sometimes when you go to the bigger stadiums, maybe like Old Trafford, but you have the tourists or you have the people that are sitting down. And, and that's a phenomenon at Mercedes-Benz that I don't know you're aware of, but nobody sits down. Really? Nearly the entire... No, it's, it's wild. Almost the entire ground, all of the spectators stand the entire match. Yeah. So it's like a giant terrace. Now, there are some sections maybe where people sit down, but we have a general admission section behind one of the goals called the, the supporter section. It's you, you come early, you get your seat, and, you know, the, the flags, you know, like, like the flares, the, that type of atmosphere. But that extends almost around the entire stadium. And I know that in England it's not the same. A lot of times in, in top-tier football you have to remain seated. The, the, the terrorist mentality, you know, after something like Hillsborough. That, or, you know, the reason certain, for it, really, yeah. Right, of course. Mm. But it's almost refreshing to be on your feet for the whole match. And... I, I see some of that in the videos from Mariners Park where people are walking around, they're on their feet, they're cheering, they're engaged. And I, I like seeing that as well because I know that when you're sat down, you know, you pull out your phone, you know, you get distracted. No, everybody is focused on what's on the pitch. And mm. I think the players respond to that very well. They do. Knowing that, yeah. Yeah, they do. I mean, you mentioned the owners there sitting and as fans. And I think that's very much the case with Jeff Thompson because um, I've been. I think it was the pre-season. I was there watching Shields play Heaven, and uh, and Jeff Thompson came up just to pass the time of day with me for ten minutes. Wow! And yeah. and I know he does that. I've seen him take regular forays into the crowd and just engage people, and 
and and he, right. he listens he also has regularly uh, regular sorry q and a sessions at the club once every two right. or three months where he does listen and you can see after that things that people have suggested are actually implemented and there's been a recent example of that where people were saying i mean in a working class area buying a season ticket even for a small comparatively small non-league club like south shields is can be an expense right. um so somebody said why don't you institute a standing order system where we can pay it monthly and bish bash bosh it's happened so right. this just because they're fans they want to see the club they want to make the fans happy not just by what's happening on the pitch but the standard right. of the standard of service that the club can give. I'm over 60 now, so I get a free cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a lot of money, is it, Brent? But, you know, it's it's a gesture, and it's it's really good. Maybe, maybe there are certain days where you get two cups of tea because you become so old you forgot you had the first cup. <laughs> no, when you get too old, you forget you've got the voucher to get the free cup. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, I was in a... An area, um, not in the city center of Atlanta, but on the the outside of the city. And, yeah. um I was going in to get some ice cream at a local shop, and I saw Darren Eels. You know, somebody that I would never meet normal day life, and I know that you want to be respectful and, yeah. and honor the private light. But you know, I couldn't resist, and I, I stopped him on his way out. And he was actually with his parents. His parents had come over from England to yeah. visit him. And I said, Darren, you know, I'm a season ticket holder. I don't want to take up much of your time. I just want to let you know that I appreciate your commitment to the club. Mm. It's not it's not something to make money off of. It's something to be proud of. And you have given the fans in, in only two seasons something to be immensely proud of. And you deserve to know that. And and, and he responded. He was very appreciative. And, and then even at the end, I was like, and what kind of ice cream are you eating? And it was a... A double chocolate flavor. He was very excited about his ice cream, and so <laughs> you know, you realize that these are people. Yeah. You know, Jeff Thompson is a person. He has feelings. He has emotions, yeah. and I think that the criticisms, fair or unfair, they, they 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 can be they can be hurtful. But when there's a positive community to exchange information, exchange ideas, and everybody has that common goal with something like Project EFL, yeah, it's contagious. You know, there is there is patience, there is mm -hmm. forgiveness. Whereas yeah. Mike Ashley is <laughs> is not somebody who commands patience and forgiveness. No, no, he? no, 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 not at all. I mean, and and, and as I think I said in the notes I sent you, which is why I asked what sort of owners you've got, and you've now told me so that's fantastic, and you know about Jeff Thompson, obviously. In the non-league, there have been one or two instances over the last couple of years where uh, people with probably the same sort of funding that Jeff has got will come in and they'll um, take over an ailing club. They, right. will, they will throw money around and buy players uh, from a higher league, maybe one or two right. up. But they do nothing about the marketing of the club and developing an ethos right. in the community, which is important because unless you do that, right. unless you are self-sufficient and sustainable and reliant upon... Um, what comes through the turnstiles, how many shirts right. you sell, 
how many cups of tea you sell, whatever, then you're going right. to feel. And a lot of these become absentee landlords, and then they sell off the best players. Right. And it's horrible right. to it's horrible to watch because these sometimes these are clubs with a great pedigree, who perhaps have hit on hard times. Five right. seasons ago, they might have won the FA Trophy. I'm talking about a specific club here, but I won't name them. And it, <laughs> it really is, uh, it's terrible. It's very, very sad to watch, but it does, by the same token, make you realise how blessed we are that Jeff Thompson is the way he is. It, it makes me think of um, Knotts County is a club that comes to mind. Yeah. Or... Um, another club like Salford City, yeah. which is a bit different with the class of 92 from Man United. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's a fantastic uh, docu-series on, uh, I think it's Netflix, which details the um, the path of the club with the with the cash infusion. Yeah. But I think that was one of the things I specifically remember is, uh, you know, they were doing these interactions with the fans, you know, Paul Scholes and, and the others, and they said, and the fans were saying, who are you? What do you know about our club? What do you know about our community? What right do you have to make these decisions? If you remember when um, when uh, Cardiff City, the Bluebirds, yeah, um, the yeah. the owner from Asia had purchased the club and he changed the kit to to red. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 that's not something that you can just up and do. It, if if Jeff Thompson had purchased the club and he said Claret and Blue are no longer the club colors. It's going to be black and yellow. What is that for the identity that, of the club? It's, it's, yeah. it's an abomination. And so I think that it's very special um, what, what Jeff has done because never having met Jeff, never having heard him spoken, or never having really been exposed to even a, a, a kind of an audio or an interview or anything, but knowing from um, fans through all things Maranas or, or, or literature online, the impression that he's made, he's earned trust. Mm. And you you can't purchase trust. Uh, the benefit of the doubt means if I don't understand what's going on, I trust. And it's kind of, I would say it's the same relationship with um, uh, Fenton and Picton, the managers. Yeah. Um, recently, the, you know, there was a poll run of results and the fans were saying, trust the process. You know, they've gotten us this far. They know what they're doing. There's a reason I'm not in the dugout selecting, you know, the starting 11, <laughs> filling out the team sheet. You know, I can I struggle to do the Fantasy Premier League on, on the website. Yeah. Um, side note, I'm in, I'm in a Mariners fan group. I think there are 60 or 70 teams, and, and my Fantasy team is in the top 10. So oh, wow. You can, yeah, you can tell Daniel Prince I'm coming for him. Oh, He's a few spots above me. <laughs> Yeah, and I know it done very well. This, yeah. this morning I had made Jamie Vardy my captain and he had two goals and an assist, so it was a, it was a good morning for me. Yeah. But I think that that is something that, you know, trust, uh, keeping the confidence and good faith because from a money point of view, there are very difficult decisions. It's a business. Mm. You know, there's profits, there's margins, there's losses, there's investment. Um, why did you not buy that club when you spent money on ground improvements or why did you spend money on this marketing initiative when you didn't improve the facilities and the and, and, you know the, the bathrooms or the washing rooms whatever yeah. have you and to have somebody in charge of the ship um, to use a mariner's analogy for you <laughs> it, 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 it can't be overstated how important that is because 
so much of the club business happens behind closed doors. Yeah. I think that's the same trust that we have with Arthur Blink because right now, Atlanta United are a bit of a tough stretch. We've we've suffered a, a few losses, um, some injuries to, to start the season, and our first choice eleven is not is not currently available. Yeah. And some of the fans who are not, I I I, I don't like to use the word plastic. But they're not what I would say a, a true fan in the sense they're committed to the club. They may be a fan of the experience of winning and championships, but through thick and thin, through the good, the bad, they're not as committed as maybe another section of, of the supporters are. Well, I and think you, you you used the correct word. Sorry to interrupt. There's a bit of a time delay here. But I think you used the correct word earlier on when you said tourists. Right. There are some people who like to ride the crest of the wave, but then when right. it's, things turn sour, I mean, right. it's, it's a human nature, I suppose, to a certain extent, right. isn't it? But uh, there are some who aren't as committed. You still need those people because right. they come, they pay the money to get in, they right. buy a beer or whatever. So I remember, I remember for the MLS Cup final, um, you know, the most expensive tickets. Yeah. Uh, you know, people are. Fighting online to get you know a ticket because for the for all of the previous rounds of the playoffs as a season ticket holder you were automatically given a ticket. Yeah. You simply had to pay the price. Yeah. But the ticketing platform for the MLS Cup final uh, was different. It was through a, a third party site called Ticketmaster. Oh. And what happened is that um, going back to the conferences, what makes it unique is up until last year the team from the conference that had more points from the regular season, won the right to host the MLS Cup final. So if it, the team that we played was from Portland, all of their fans, they had to travel across the United States to watch the match in person. It was not a neutral site. No. Now this year, the playoffs are being reorganized with different seating and a, a sort of single elimination format. Sort of like the Champions League, but with one match rather than multiple matches. Mm. And as I understand, the higher seed has the right to host the match. And that rewards you for your regular season performance. Mm. So you're not simply qualifying for the playoffs, but you're seeding. But, but anyways, I remember we stood outside the stadium for over an hour in the cold rain to get into the stadium as early as possible. So we were at the stadium for over an hour before the gates opened. And then we were... Uh, in the queue and inside the stadium for two hours before kickoff and, and stayed in the stadium for maybe an hour after the match with the celebration and the ceremonies when they were lifting the cup. Those fans who come in right before kickoff and leave as soon as the match is over, they are no less a fan than I am. Um, you, you're not asking for them to spend all of their time in the same way, but you're asking for a certain level of commitment. You know, when the results are poor, or the goals aren't flowing, or somebody is injured, that you, that you are a fan of the club for being the club that you love, not simply a club that has won matches or mm. won trophies. You know, as an Arsenal supporter, you know, you hear so much about finishing fourth place was the trophy that we always strive for. And, and But you realize that, you know, you, you can't follow a club for the trophies or promotions. You have to follow the club because you're committed to the process of what Jeff Thompson are uh, Fenton and Picton, you know, are the players, what are they about? You know, it's it's more than wins and losses and points and draws and and victories. 
I think that that is the difficult thing of establishing a culture with Atlanta United is that the club is so young. A lot of fans are a fan of sports. They're a fan of uh, uh, they're a fan of excitement yeah. of the spectacle. So they are becoming an Atlanta United fan the same time they're becoming a football fan. They're mm. learning the rules. They they don't understand as well as other fans supporters. The nuances of the game, the intricacies. Uh, why do you have squad rotation? Why can't the same players start all the matches as yeah. long as they're not injured? Yeah. And so, right now, there are some growing pains because maybe that's the best way to explain it. Uh, so many fans of Atlanta United were not football fans before the team, the club formed three years ago, three seasons ago. And so, they are learning about the game as much as they are learning about the club. Does that That's make right. sense? Yes, it does. Because, I mean, actually, compared to football in the UK, it's still... The game, I suppose, is still relatively a new thing. Sorry if that was a bit of a brutal cut-off, but at this point, our respective pets, French dog Ellie and my cat Bobby, made cameo appearances and craved attention. So this conversation will be continued in part two in just over a week's time after our upcoming season review and preview so stay tuned thanks for listening to this Mariners podcast there'll be another one along soon before you can say Julio Arca hey!